catechism question, the chief end of man, J.I. Packer. who's in glory, and I realize he had some things that differed perhaps from us in the Reformed faith, but I couldn't hold his shoes, to tell you the truth. Um, he, he has a statement, something like this, once you realize that the main purpose of life is to know God, to know God, to know him not just propositionally, but to know him, know him experimentally, he goes on to say, essentially, then the harder things of life um, will, will um, resolve themselves because um, those things are there so that we would know God. I think very insightful. Well, what I want to do this morning is a little bit of a topical. I want to go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at, I'm going to read, I'm going to read um, from the Beatitudes and um, I'm going to read from the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are found in uh, um, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And I want to read as well um, what's known as the similitudes, which I think is Matthew 5, uh, 13 through 16. You're salt and light. That you are like this. That's hence the word similitude. But you have the Beatitudes, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, and then the similitudes, your salt and light. And my, my purpose is to look at one through three, poverty of spirit. I was originally intending at really unpacking the whole notion of poverty of spirit, but really um, for a number of circumstances, I just want to, I want to unpack the whole idea this morning, just to t- touch on a little bit, the notion that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are blessed. So I won't even get, maybe I'll get a little bit to the popular spirit. I just want to get at the notion that as Christians, we are believers. Our brother Tony um, taught us in Sunday school, we were talking about the assurance of being in a state of salvation from J.C. Ryle's book on holiness. And J.C. Ryle opens up, with a statement that there is such a thing as false assurance. And then we talked about people that hold false assurance. Let's put our, what I want us to do this morning is I want to put our neighbor aside for just a minute. And I want us to focus in properly, not, not, not wrongfully, on ourselves. The Bible says this, These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Well, this is true for you, and this is true for your neighbor, your children, your grandchildren, your enemy. This is true for everyone. But whether or not another person rejects it or not, it won't do us any good unless we believe it. The Bible is written that we would know and believe in Jesus Christ, and by believing in Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, we have everlasting life. And so one of the things I want us to see from that principle this morning is we're going to come to the scripture, the Beatitudes, and Jesus will say, which means God in the flesh will say, to a believer in Jesus, you are blessed. He says it a number of times. You're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. I want us to all be Bereans, but not just in theory, in practice. Let's go to Matthew 5. 
the word of God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are our Father which art in heaven. And we know, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are there preparing a place for us. And very, very soon we will be there in your immediate presence. Um, whether or not it's before you return on the last day or, uh, or, or, or it's the last day, we will either go to you or you'll come to us and we'll be in, in heaven. Encourage us, Lord, today with your word. Uh, may you receive glory and honor and may we ourselves receive comfort and courage. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, I'm kind of doing a topical um, this morning and a topical this evening from the Beatitudes. I thank Brother George and Brother Tony for covering uh, for the sermons last week and preaching um, God's Word for us. I had a time away um, up in Chattanooga, and then we spent some time with my daughter worshiping in their PCA church, which I, I can't say enough good about my daughter's church in Atlanta. It's a wonderful church. Um, but it was, it was a great respite for me just to get away and to receive the Word of God and the sacraments as presented by another set of ministers. Um, but I, I thought today... I thought today that we might encourage ourselves uh, with the Word of God, which is interesting um, uh, that that our brother Scott made a a comment about uh, how to deal with folks with false assurance, and I think he was even tending towards speaking to the true believer. He said just to bathe them, feed them on the Word of God. That's exactly right. If someone's wrong, feed them on the Word of God. If someone's right, feed them on the Word of God. If they're apart from Christ, feed them on the Word of God. If they're in Christ, feed them on the Word of God. And so I want us to encourage ourselves as professing believers uh, on the Word of God. And as I mentioned, we're probably just going to get through the whole idea that Jesus Christ, God, Emmanuel, tells his followers that to be in Christ is to be blessed. Now, I will say this. The Beatitudes are, I mean, this is just part of the scripture that you could never plumb. The, most of, all of scripture you can't plumb the depths of. The Beatitudes are not the gospel. 
The Beatitudes are Christ's dictates for those who are found in Christ, for those who believe the gospel. There is a couple of fellows that I'm thinking of. They're neo-legalists, um, which means legalists, um, who believe by law-keeping you then merit some kind of standing before God. And there is a fellow that says the Beatitudes is the gospel. The Beatitudes are not the gospel. The Beatitudes are Christ's rules for kingdom living for those who are found in Christ Jesus. The gospel is the message of the cross. And the people that have found Christ in the cross, they live this way and they are blessed. So it's not if you're really meek, then you will be blessed. If you are really a peacemaker, then God will love you and then you'll see God and then you'll earn your standing before God. This is what the other fellow who writes lots of books and makes lots of money says, that if you do these things, then you'll become children of God. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in John 1, 10 through 13, if you believe in him, <laughs> you're a child of God, believing in Christ. So Christ pays for everything we receive, but when we come here, we'll see implied in this, though our salvation is free in Christ, he purchased it all. That doesn't mean there's not a price to be paid in, in, as reference to our discipleship. So salvation, Christ purchases it all, we receive all. Gift. There is a cost to following Jesus Christ. We'll get at that maybe with mourning and those kind of things being abused. So one doesn't negate the other. Does that make sense? So Christ pays for all of our salvation. It's all free, all gift to us. But when then Jesus says, count the cost of following me, he means the cost of discipleship. That's how you reconcile gospel. And then here I would say these certain directives of those who have found Christ. But when Jesus says, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you, he is presupposing, speaking to believers. These are real believers. And as I mentioned, my purpose is not so much for us to be eagle-eyed who next to me is not a real believer. I suppose there's a time and a place for doing that if, we're, if our purpose is to help them. I, I want to leave that purpose alone. I, I want to speak to you directly, personally, um, that, that if you believe, if you believe, not if your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad, you, if Christ is your only hope in life and death, then you are blessed. You. Then all of these things are true for you. Whether they're not true for your neighbor, let's, again, put that aside. You. You know, when you get on a plane, I used to think it was crazy that the thing drops down and they say, well, put it on your face first before you put it on your little kiddo. And of course, the dads are quick to do it, but every mother is thinking, I've got to put it on my kid. Put the mask on first. Let's put the word on first for yourself and then worry about your neighbor maybe later. So we want to see that as Christian people, Christ says that we are blessed. Let's look at the setting of the Beatitudes. It's just a topical, so it's not particularly my ordinary method. I want to look at the setting of Christ giving this sermon. The Sermon on the Mount, which is what this is referred to, runs from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I'm sure it's not all the words that Christ spoke on, on this mountainside, but I in reference to what he opens with that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, I want to just go, if we could, to the particular setting of this sermon, and I think it would be touching uh, to us. We would be touched by the condition of the people. 
if we were to go here and we were to see the people on this mountainside, I think they would move us emotionally if you would see their outward condition. Of course, we can't know everything there is to know about uh, their inward condition. In fact, we know precious little. But uh, their outward condition. Um, these people would have had, generally speaking, um, very much less of the world's goods than we have. These are poor and needy people. They, a, lot of the, a lot of times they're following Jesus around because Jesus can feed them, because Jesus can heal them. And before we look down our noses on them thinking, well, that tends to be a lower, lower motive. It's not the only motive. Jesus was busy preaching sin and salvation, so they were following him for that. But these people were poor and needy. The Apostle James says that God was pleased in his infinite wisdom, oftentimes, not always, to make the poor of the world, the physically poor of the world, to be rich in faith. And there are precious few, comparatively speaking, of those who are rich in the world who are likewise rich in faith. It's not exclusive. Abraham was a rich man, rich materially, and uh, rich spiritually. And it's not to say if you're poor physically, then you're rich uh, um, spiritually. That, that is not a one-to-one. But the Bible does say, in, both in the book of James and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God is pleased to choose really the nothings of the world, very, very poor. These people would have been very destitute, and they're here to see the Lord Jesus uh, Christ. You know, it, it's hard for us, perhaps living in America. Um, I was born and raised in America and didn't really travel outside. And on our honeymoon, we took a, many, many years ago, um, we took a, a cruise. And we went to uh, Caribbean islands. And we went to one island. I forget which it was. It'll come to me. It begins with an A. And uh, I had never seen anything like it. Um, people living in huts, really. There were kind of open sewers. We were on a bus uh, 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 tour. And then we got caught in a rainstorm in a fish market. And I grew up near a fish market, but a fish market in a first world country, not a first fish market in a third world country. And I was super uncomfortable. And I remember my wife, my brand new wife said to me, what's, what's, what's the problem? I had never seen poverty like this, never. And of course she had been in India and Brazil and but I had never seen anything like it. Beloved, being an American, even when I say I was poor as a church mouse, even when I was poor as a church mouse, in comparison to these folks sitting on a hillside listening to the Lord Jesus, in comparison to, say, the folks that belong to our kind of churches in uh, Haiti or the Isle of Laganah, we are rich. Even the poorest of Americans, I suppose, have far more uh, food, clothing. These people are poor, poor, who are traveling around listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so these are, are hungry people. And as I mentioned, God has been pleased to um, bless those who have little of the world's goods to give them Christ. And I want to contrast that. So there's, here are these Materially poor people following Jesus Christ around. Where are the rich and the wealthy people when Christ is preaching this sermon? They're, they're not here. They're not here. They have better things to do. 
They have fields to buy, they have cows and oxen to buy, they have marriages to plan, they have finances to invest in. They're not here. Sometimes, beloved, that uh, having a superabundance of the world's goods are an impediment to our knowing God in Christ and to our serving God in Christ. J.C. Ryle was raised fabulously wealthy, and then I think someone um, basically through nefarious things robbed his father. His dad owned a bank or something like that, and he became instantly a pauper. So he was raised with a silver spoon in his mouth and became an instant, uh, instant pauper. J.C. Ryle is very keen to say, we, we, professing Christians, we envy the rich. We think, oh, if we could be a believer plus rich, that's really where it's at. But he would say the opposite. He said, really, those riches are a hindrance to coming to Christ, to following Christ, to, to, to loving Christ, to serving Christ. And we should, we should be praying for them, the, the rich, rather than envy. They're, they're not here. So when we talk about poverty, they're physically poor, they have physical needs, they come to Christ. These people also recognize that they have spiritual needs, so they come to Christ. Have you ever talked to a, a, a financially wealthy person who's also a physically healthy person? And they're an unbeliever, and you tell them Jesus is the answer. And they think, answer for what? I'm healthier than you, I'm wealthier than you, and I'm going to the beach. I'm not going to follow Christ around. So actually, in God's providence, even their outward hard condition in God's wisdom has, um, has brought them to follow Jesus Christ around. The, the worldling simply, what does Jesus say? Is it Matthew 6? Where your heart treasure is, where your heart is, there your treasure is also. The, these people have no earthly treasure. They're following Christ from town to town because Christ has become their earthly treasure. Beloved, sometimes having other treasures, um, that will reveal itself in um, where our words lie, our hearts lie, where our actions lie, and where our body is. Our brother mentioned it in Sunday school. Um, these people are following Christ. They want to hear Christ because Christ is all to them. But when we have um, other heart treasures, we go and speak of where our real treasure is. So is it worshiping God in Christ with brothers and sisters? Is it finding God in Christ in his word or in prayer? Um, what does Christ say? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. These people are poor. These people are poor. I think we'll be amazed. This is a 1 Corinthians 1. How many poor folks, materially poor folks, have been found to be blessed in Jesus Christ? And which, which is when Christ comes to these people and says, you are blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed. Without the Holy Spirit, if you looked at these people, you would not conclude that. When you were to look at Lazarus and the rich man, Lazarus being the poor beggar covered with sores versus the rich man, if you were to look at both of those people and you were to say which one is blessed, which one is not blessed, would you conclude that the man who was fabulously healthy and wealthy was not blessed? And would you conclude that Lazarus, 
who is a leprous pauper with dogs licking his sores, that he in fact was blessed. Would you conclude that? No. What I want us to see is that when Christ says to his child, who in his providence in that instance was a a leprous beggar, you are blessed. And the other fellow is not. But you are blessed. I want us to go with God, not our flesh and not the world. I want us to walk by faith and not by sight. The longer I live as a believer, the more I am convinced that walking by faith and not by sight is very, very hard to do. And we have that principle within us, that fleshly principle, that wants to believe only what we can see and touch, not what we read and not what's invisible. We tend to believe what's real is the material. Whereas the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're looking at the spiritual things which are not visible. We need to believe them more, less so the other things. So we have the poverty of the uh, audience. They are coming because they are hungry and they're physically needy. And their sin weighs them down. Christ has been busy preaching the gospel. If you read in Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist comes, repent of your sins and believe in the coming Christ. Jesus comes on the scene after John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Christ comes and preaches the gospel. Repent of your sins and believe in me. And so these people are coming around, not just for a free meal or for healing, which I don't think we should make fun of, um, but they're also coming for the remission of their sins. Christ has been busy telling them, you are sinners. And I am your only hope in life and death. I am a, I am a savior. I wonder if, this is just a speculation on my part, I wonder how Christ presented that. I, I don't mean the words, because we have some of the words. I mean his tone. I wonder how Christ's tone was. When he told them, you are sinners, flee from the wrath to come, the wages of sin is death, believe upon me and you'll be saved. I wonder what his tone was like. I wonder what his temperament was like. And again, the longer I live, I have become less feisty um, and more um, gentle over the years. Not always so. My sin still crops up. I believe that Jesus Christ, even presenting the hard things of Scripture, was much more gentle. And I don't mean in a kind of a... um, kind of a a soft on sin kind of way. But I think he's softer on sinners than we would give him credit for. So they come to him because they know Christ is the answer for their physical needs and for their spiritual needs. And I want you to see what these particular people do about it. I don't don't want you to miss miss that. Um, Our salvation is all gift, all grace, even the ability to repent is a gift, the ability to believe is a gift, the Bible says it is. But see what these people do. Um, Christ goes to a certain place, and he's going to preach there. And what the, I don't want to miss the effort that these people expend, um, even believing the sovereignty of God, even believing being a five-point Calvinist, even being a Westminsterian Puritan, which I am. The Bible speaks to us as responsible religious creatures. 
Repent of your sins. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. All of those things. Um, these people are following Jesus Christ around. No small effort. Um, Matthew Henry, he's my go-to guy. Matthew Henry talks about the woman who is, has the issue of blood. And she comes up behind Christ and she touches him. And he talks about this woman being blessed for her efforts. And he doesn't mean it in an Arminian way, because he's not an Arminian. He means that here is this woman who, even on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath, she's, she, she's there with a broken body, and God ministers to her broken body and to her broken soul, as she's there exercising, using the means of grace. I don't, I don't want to pass over too quickly. These people here, from the lips of Jesus himself, as believers in Jesus, you are blessed as they attend the means of grace, as they attend church, as it were. Though the church that they're attending is on a hillside. So the church is in a building. It's wherever the gathering of God's people meet. But they're there. What does Jesus say? Matthew chapter 7. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be what? Given to you. What happens if you don't ask? What happens if you don't seek? What happens if you don't knock? You don't have. You don't have. These people are chasing Christ. They want Christ. They're looking to Christ. And they follow Christ around. This is not Arminianism. It's the language of the Bible. And so God then tells them they're blessed. And what we find in this particular setting is Jesus Christ is acting the part, because he is, He's fulfilling Ezekiel 34. John 10 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. John is my favorite book of the Bible, but I have lots of favorite books and favorite things, but it's my favorite favorite. My favorite section is Jesus is the good shepherd and that his sheep know his voice. And he lays down his life for his sheep and he takes it up again that we would have everlasting life. But John 10 is the counterpart of Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, God says to, to, to his people, and he first says to the, she the shepherds, both the kings and the prophets and the priests, he says, you're all sorry. <laughs> None of you are shepherding my people rightly. You're all in it for yourself and you're, you're beating up my poor sheep. So what I'm going to do is I will come in Emmanuel. God will come in the flesh. I will shepherd my own sheep. That's Ezekiel 34. And I'm going to seek them out. I'm going to save them. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to lead them uh, in green pastures beside still waters. I will do it. God will do it. God himself will do it. That's what this is. This is, this, this is Jesus Christ fulfilling Ezekiel 34. This is Jesus, the good shepherd, coming to what kind of folk? Lost sheep. And he's coming to seek and to save them and to provide for them. And he's doing so by calling them to himself and by preaching to them. And as I mentioned, Christ will tell his people that they are blessed. I want to first look at the definition of what blessed is, and then I want to look at three aspects of what it means to be blessed. Depending upon the kind of Christian church you go to, or your theological convictions, biblical convictions, you understand being blessed differently or variously. Sometimes people think, well, to be blessed, it means to be healthy or to be wealthy, and, and health and wealth can be a blessing. But as I mentioned, it could be an outright curse. 
read um, Psalm 73. Read Psalm 73. The first part of Psalm 73 says, look at all these, these people, these unbelievers. They're so healthy and they're so wealthy and they hate you. And look at your people, O oh God. We're all poor and sick. And then the psalmist says, what? Then I came into your presence and I remembered what their end will be and what our end will be. And then he reasons by faith in the word of God. They are not blessed. We are blessed. They have a superabundance of the world's goods. We have a, a paucity of the world's goods. But the world's goods is the most heaven they're ever going to have. And our paucity of the world's good is the most hell we'll ever endure. So we, what we want to define blessed according to the Bible. Makarios is the Greek word used here. And where's little baby Asher's floating around somewhere? So uh, Psalm 1, um, blessed is Asher. And then um, in, in that's the, in, the, um, in, the, in the Hebrew. And then in the Greek, it's makarios. It's blessed. Both Asher in the Hebrew and Makarios in the Greek can be translated blessed or happy. So Christ is saying, you are blessed, you are blessed. Happy are you. This is the counterpart in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Woe unto you who laugh now because you're going to weep later. Woe unto you who are well fed now because you're going to be hungry later. So when you hear blessed can be translated happy or joyful, don't recoil at that. I, I, don't, I don't mean in a frivolous way. I don't mean like happy as eating like cotton candy or something like that. Um, wh wh what does David say? At your right hand are what forevermore? Pleasures or joy forevermore. God in Christ is our joy, is our satisfaction. Heaven is a place of consummate happiness because God in Christ will be there immediately and we're going to be there without any sin. So don't get turned off by the notion of happiness. Um, our happiness is to be found in Christ. But it's this blessed. And what he means is to be a recipient of God's saving favor. This is why when Tony was touching on, from J.C. Ryle, on the doctrine of assurance, it's one of my favorite doctrines in the entire Bible. I love it. So chapter 17 of our confession is perseverance of the saints. Chapter 18 is assurances of, gra of, of grace. One is the objective, that's the perseverance. We will persevere with Christ because he perseveres with us. us. Look at chapter 17. Objective, what God in Christ does for us. Chapter 18, which is the, which is the assurance, is our subjective understanding of the objective. In other words, I, I know that I have passed from death to life. We're confident that we're recipients of salvation, confident that we're recipients, objects of God's love. I love that doctrine. And so when we come here, Christ is saying to his people to, to, to bolster our assurance, you have passed from life to death. You're not cursed. There is no condemnation. You are blessed. So to be blessed means to be a recipient of God's saving favor. favor. To be a recipient of God's saving love. To be saved, to be loved by God, to be cared for by God, to be prayed for by God. That's what this means. So we, we have union and friendship with God. That's what it means to be blessed. So when he talks about the spiritual hungering and thirst for righteousness and spiritual uh, poverty and those kind of things, he is saying to his people, 
You are bound to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You're in union. You're in friendship with God. This is a Romans chapter, what is it? Romans chapter 8. He's given us everything in Christ his Son. There is no earthly pain that we could go through, and we can go through a lot of earthly pain. Is there not, beloved? That sometimes we wish, a lot of times we wish, I wish, I wish I didn't have this pain. I wish. But the pain doesn't mean we're not blessed. We want to reason according to the Word of God. We want to reason according to the Spirit of God. We've passed from life to death. No condemnation. We have God. You say, well, I have cancer, but you have God. You say, I have no money, but you have God. You see what I mean? That, 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 that's what's going on. I know it's just general. So the aspects of blessedness is, first thing I want us to see is that, that when Jesus says to his people, you are blessed, Christ can't lie. Christ is God come in the flesh. He cannot lie. I know there are schools of religious thought. Is it possible for God to lie? What about biblical lies? Let's put that aside. To me, it's just silliness. The Bible says clearly, the book of Titus, God cannot lie. God abominates lying. If you ever listen to someone, let me, here's the six-volume set on why you can have biblical, why God lies. I don't know. If you want to waste your time and hurt your soul, go ahead and do it. I wouldn't do it. Just respond back. The Bible says God cannot lie. He's all truth. He hates lies. Everything that God in Christ says is true. He's, the perf- He's God come in the flesh. So God comes to you and to me this morning and says, you are blessed. Now, we're going to have three kind of enemies that will for sure come against us with that. We're going to have the world. Does the world think that believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are the blessed? Do they? Do they look at your life and go, you know what? That's kind of the life that I really want to have. You all are doing great. No, what do they think? (laughs) They think they need to to scrape us off out of the country because we're the off-scourings. This is the 1 Corinthians 4 and 2 Corinthians 4. We think we're the dregs of the earth. And they don't think that we're blessed. Why? Because we're mourning for our sins. We're hungering for righteousness. We have certain views on the Sabbath. Crazy, legalist Sabbath. What kind of lunatics believe in the Sabbath and the Fourth Commandment and the Second Commandment? It's so horrible. We're walking around. We're so sorrowful. And they think that we've made a bad bargain. Oh, believe in Jesus and just kind of go moping your whole life and you can't enjoy all the nasty sin in the world. And boy, it's such a bummer. The only reason they think that is because they don't, they don't know God in Christ. Are there hardships to the Christian life? Sure. Are there sweet sins that we can't enjoy anymore? Sure, sure. Yeah, and also the sting that comes with it, right? Sure. Would you trade places with, a, with an unbeliever? No. They think that we're not cur- blessed. They think that we are cursed because they don't know God in Christ. They don't know his goodness. They don't know his sweetness. They don't, they don't know him. So it's not, I, I, I want to pick on them less. They just don't know. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know. But the world will say that you are not blessed. The devil will tell you that you are not blessed. And here's another enemy that will tell you as a believer, you're not blessed. Don't believe that pastor when he says, God loves you. Don't believe him. 
what entity would that be? Your own fallen flesh. Even as a believer, doesn't that happen? Something happens in your life, something painful. It's usually the painful things we, well, does God love me? And not, people that are not going through pain think, whoa, but I, would, I would do what I would do. Okie dokie. Okie dokie. Come back and talk to me when you're coming back from the funeral of the person that you love. Not from the funeral of the people I love, but from the funeral of the people that you love. Come back and tell me what you do then. Right? Right. When the hard times come, we have a flesh that says, you know, Jesus said you're blessed. You don't look very blessed. You think Christ loves you? What, what should we do to that, beloved? We should crucify that. We should mortify that. To use the language of our brother Scott, we should bathe that in scripture. We have a little voice in our head that says, you know what, you're, you're really not blessed. You're not going to see God. You're not a child of God. You won't go to heaven. And the word of God comes along and says, that's not true. We need to, to sh- shut the, the mouth of that, that adversary. I think our fallen flesh is worse than the unbelieving worldling and even the devil. Don't, don't listen, beloved, to any contrary voice as a believer in Jesus, even your own fallen flesh, that will tell you that you're not blessed. Jesus says that you are. And there are hard things in the Bible, hard things to understand, I mean, and then there are easier things to understand, perhaps not able to reconcile, but we can understand them. Jesus says over and over and over and over and over again to you, believer, Makarios, Makarios, Makarios. You are a recipient of my saving grace. We, I need to live on that. I need to believe that. So the first thing that we learn is it's true. The second thing I alluded to is that it's a spiritual blessedness. He talks about poverty in spirit. So right away we realize that the blessings that he talks about in reference to the directives of being poor in spirit, hungering for righteousness, it's a spiritual blessing. And this is where the carnal person, whether they're inside their church or outside the church, meaning the person that's reasoning according to the flesh, when Jesus says, I have spiritual blessings for you, the carnal person who's bereft of the Holy Spirit says what? So, what time is the buffet? They're gone. They're gone. You tell people, you can be forgiven of your sins. Christ can pray for you. The Holy Spirit can indwell you. You'll be on your way to heaven. You'll inherit the new heavens and the new earth. And the person that's thinking like they don't have the Holy Spirit, what do they think? I want to play golf. I want to be healthy. They, they have no... This, this is the uh, Luke 14. I've got, to, I've got stuff to do. I've got, to, I've got to buy a house. Spiritual blessings are only attractive to spiritual people. And so when he comes here, not only are these blessings true, but they're spiritual blessings. Even for those of us who are born again, it's harder I keep referencing the 1 Corinthians 4 and 2 Corinthians 4, particularly 2 Corinthians 4. Read that. It's like verses 1 through 18. Paul says we're looking at the eternal things, not more than we are the temporal things. Beloved, spiritual 
benefits or spiritual blessings are a little bit harder for us to discern because we live here and now. We have a body. We live in a fall. We have to eat. We have to. We get sick, and all, our kids get sick, and all of these things happen. And so I'm not denying that. Those things make it harder for us to say, you know what? It doesn't matter if I'm sick. I'm justified. It doesn't matter if my kid is sick. He's adopted by God in Christ. You see what I'm getting at? Christ wants us not to deny the reality of the physical, but to value the the spiritual blessings higher than the physical. And the only way we can do that is by faith. Because our flesh really wants to say this, I want to believe in Jesus and go to heaven and have God's love, but I want to be really healthy and I want my kids and grandkids to be really healthy and I want to have enough money to do whatever I want to do. God has another plan. Right? But His way is best. The blessing is real. The blessings are spiritual. And we have to discern what these blessings are. I just mentioned the justification, the adoption, that God the Holy Spirit indwells you and increasingly sanctifies you. That you have the assurance of God's love. You have the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's the perseverance of, of, of the saints. And you're going to be glorified. This is why Jesus says to his people, you, you are blessed. And then the last thing I want to say, because I'm going too long, is he mentions... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I've mentioned probably so many times, which is why I I think I mention it too much. I believe, is what I believe, so I preach what I believe. (laughs) I believe biblical Christianity is principally otherworldly. I don't mean that we're not actively engaged in this life, don't it? We should be the best Christian mom, the best Christian dad, the best Christian husband, the best Christian wife, the best, the best child, Christian child, all of that, all of that. Christianity is principally coming to Christ, being forgiven of our sins, being brought into a loving relationship with the, God, the Godhead, and then living for him in this little bitty life that we have. And whether our life is of two days or 102 years. It's a little bitty life. And Christ has come to die for us, to reconcile us back to God, to ultimately to do what? To receive us into the presence of God. This. So he wants us not just to believe that the blessing is is real, it's true, the blessing is spiritual, He wants us to see that the blessing is eternal. And the blessing will be realized in its zenith in heaven. These people are poor, as I said. Death to them was something close up. I read a book by Cotton Mather, uh, 1700s, Boston. And during a particular um, cold snap, people were dying. He said there was not a home where there was not... someone dead. And they couldn't bury the people because the ground was so cold. So they were stacking them up like wood in every home. 
And beloved, I'm, what, 58. In, in my youth, we went to a lot of funerals. No one, in, in, and I'm not arguing the rightness or the wrongness of this. It was just my grandparents' belief and my parents' belief. They did not try to shield us from the reality of sickness and death. They didn't. And I know in the modern times, we push it away, push it away, push it away. And so maybe parents younger than me, they don't want their children to go see their granddad uh, or grandmom that died because it's going to frighten the child. So they push it away, push it away. I didn't have that. These people don't have it. These people realize we don't have enough to eat. And they know that life is not very long and that eternity is very long. And Christ says to them, you're blessed for eternity. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You're royal. He says to them, you're, you're, you're God's royal sons. You're God's royal daughters. Your destiny is not just a six by three hole, but it's heaven. The Bible says that God put in every man's heart what? Do you know what it says? Eternity. This life that we live is very, very short. Of course, we wish it was longer in some ways if we're healthy and wealthy, um, but it's very, very short. And Christ comes along and assures these people at the end of your life, it won't terminate in groaning in weakness. Where I am, there you will be also, forever. Beloved, beloved believer, beloved believer, you are blessed in Christ. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.